In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Jason Kao. Jeff Mazuka, Dennis Matouche. John Reed. Bo Warbold. Each month, they've sworn to tackle two or three movies and remind us all why we fell in love with them in the first place. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 85. You're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. This week, we are talking about the 1984 movie Amadeus. Uh, it came out September 6, 1984. Uh, director was, Mi- I'm assuming we're going to say that as Milos Forman. Milos. Is it Milos? Okay. Um, the writer is Peter Schaefer. Um, and then, just as a little side note here, uh, Foreman did win Best Director for a few of his movies, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and for Amadeus. Um, he was nominated for People vs. Larry Flint, but did not win that one. Uh, the budget for this movie was $18 million, the box office was $52 million, and Rotten Tomatoes, both critics and users, score this one at a 95%, so it's also a very highly rated movie. The original rating for this one uh, and runtime for this one was 2 hours and 40 minutes, and it was rated PG. Uh, in 2002, they came out with a director's cut, which they rated R and added an extra 20 minutes for an even 3 hours. Um, and I believe that most of us, if not all of us here, probably watched this on Netflix, and the one that's on Netflix right now is the 2002 director's cut. Yes. Um, so if in our discussions we are referencing things that you've only ever seen the theatrical version, uh, there are some extra things that are in the director's cut that we probably will talk about, um, so if you want to see that, then you probably will have to either go to Netflix or find the director's cut on DVD somewhere. Uh, F. Murray Abraham plays Antonio Salieri, Tom Hulse as Wolfgang Wolfie, uh, Amagang, let's back up, strike that, reverse it, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, uh, Elizabeth Barrage as Constanza Mozart, Roy Dotrice as Leopold Mozart, uh, Amadeus' father, and Jeffrey Jones as Emperor Joseph II. As for the cast, there it is. Italian composer Antonio Salieri, in a lunatic asylum after a suicide attempt, confesses to a priest about how he killed Mozart. And then the rest of the movie is him expounding upon that. Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so. Because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Who can believe it? What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> How good is he? This Mozart. He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. 
He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he murder Amadeus? Amadeus, the man, the music, the magic, the madness, the murder, the mystery, the motion picture. Amadeus, everything you've heard is true. I'll wait a little bit because this for me, and I've, I've told a couple of people this already, I really, really love this movie. For me, this is the way like Pat reacted to Commando. Is how I react to this movie. Like God's this is tearing up right now. I, I am. <clears throat> I cry, and every time I watch this movie. Um, so I will go. I will go last, or I will go later. But what did you guys think? Is anybody was anybody seeing this for the first time? Okay, Jeff. Oh, you sorry, can't see I, his hand. I just raised my hand. <laughs> <clears throat> That's okay. The microphone can see it. But go um, ahead. so you saw it for the first time. For the which, first which time. Think about it. I didn't care much for it. All right. Well, and you're off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> um, so Red Sonia. Uh, no, you know, um, it, I didn't find it to be a bad movie. I thought it, it was a really well-made movie. I just could not get into it. And I, I was, I mean, I watched about two hours of it, maybe 2.20. And I just was like, I, I don't know. I might go back and try watching it again sometime, but. I was just not getting into the movie at all. I will say the extra 20 minutes of the director's cut does make it a slog to get through. Um, I have a hunch the theatrical release moved a little faster. We were, just because we were busy, I think it took us three days to watch the entire movie because we'd watch about, we'd get home and it would be later at night and we'd watch about an hour of it and then we'd stop. Mm -hmm. And then the next night we'd watch another hour and then we'd stop. And then the last night, actually, I think it took us two nights to get through the last hour. So yeah, I, every time I've seen this movie, I've seen it in pieces. Whether it was on a DVD that I would pick up, or this last time on Netflix, where I would, but I don't think I've ever sat through the whole thing. I tried, and, original, it just, and I just lost interest after a while. The original script, the the Schaefer play that it's based on, is long. We did it at Vernon Hills a few years back, and my brother was when, the emperor. Yes, he was. <laughs> Um, it's long. It's solid. It's it's a it's good. It's a good story. Uh, it's a good story. It's very solid, but it's long. It can be taxing on the patience. I had never seen. I had never seen it before. I remember when it came out, and it was uh, my my parents had seen the movie, and they had uh, they had talked about seeing it, and and you know they always talked about Wolfie and that. Kind of that weird giggle that he had, um, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, that's, I know. That's, that's exactly that. well. And uh, yeah, and when, when, well, I don't want to. I, I, I will let you say your favorite scene later because it's oh, a yeah. classic one. But that giggle, come, the way he does that when he's playing, and yeah. anyways, I just remember those pieces of it, and then I remember it being discussed. I think in a music class. I think some of the kids had seen it, so the music teacher discussed it with them, and I um. 
I just recently saw it, and I enjoyed it. But the, but here's where I you know I love the I love going to the movies and seeing you know fantasy and things made up and all that. And then if things are based in history or you know epics and I'm I'm down with that. I think that's really cool. I, I, I enjoy that. But as soon as they try and make, I mean, would this be called like a biopic? A biopic. So, yeah. Yeah. They, um, they try and make that. Uh, you know, I've heard that name. All of a sudden, I'm, I start to get, okay, is that real or is that not real? Are they doing this? Is this, you know, fact? I always go on the fact versus fiction thing, and then I inevitably end up starting to get disappointed because. Well, why did they change that? I mean, supposedly, you know, to the little bit of reading I'd done, Salieri and Mozart weren't like, I mean, it wasn't, Salieri didn't poison him and didn't kill him and, you know, and all that kind of thing. It was, I mean, they were rivals, but they, they had... They were, they were more political rivals than, than, like than actual kind of like music, human, like face, rivals. face-to-face rivals, yeah. Right. Um, there's that scene with Mozart's wife, um, Mm-hmm. You know where he basically says, you know, for Mozart to get any traction in the in the Austrian court, you know, you're going to have to, you know, sleep with me, and you know she disrobes him, and then he embarrasses her, and that never happened in the original movie. So I guess maybe my judgment is, but I don't. There's no real historical basis for that, and, and then I always come away and I say, it's a really good movie. I, I, you know, like the music. I like that they were showing Mozart's music, but. Why put those names? Why put historical characters, you know, figures out there, and then rewrite history to that degree? That's the one. You know, I'm not gonna say it's a it's a bad movie, and I enjoyed it. But why do that? Why not change the names? Why not? I don't know. That's the one thing that I get hung up on is when it's supposed to be historical, and I don't go to Hollywood for my history lessons. But it's supposed to be historical and change things to that degree. That Salieri got got a raw deal. Yeah, I'd be a little, yeah. I, I think there's like a foundation, you know, from his hometown in Italy that's trying to push to, to uh, clear his name, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I read somewhere that it was like Pushkin wrote a, a, a poem about, about Stellieri and, and Mozart, and I've got a chance that uh, uh, Rimsky Korsakov wrote uh, the, the, the play about it, or the. the, the um, uh, no, yeah, something like that. And then that's how the play got into it. So uh, it's not necessarily the movie or, or, or Peter Schaefer, but it already had, had started. I think most people like that, uh, trying to answer how, why did uh, Mozart die at such an early age? And, and, and the, the fact that it, he possibly could have been poisoned, the fact that it could have been a rival that, that, uh, uh, that, that killed him. I think um, there are people who, who want to hear those conspiracy theories. And so... That's probably why, but yeah, that's that an issue, you know. Like, if you watch Braveheart, you see that William Wallace and you do all those things, it kind of kind of bugs you. You, you don't really uh, uh, like the movie as much because of these these historical inconsistencies. The, the movie I brought up uh, completely off was the Formula One movie Rush about the two, you know, Formula One drivers, and the movie they paint this horrendous rivalry, which there's a lot of drivers that have that rivalry. But those two guys did. They were friends, and the you know, and it's kind of like, why rewrite history to that extent? I mean, I, I guess we need to fit the cookie cutter mold of having two protagonists. Or like it's... Perfect Storm, if you ever watched that movie, you know, one of the uh, the, the the guys was kind of a jerk in that movie. They said later on that he was, they got along fine. They, yeah. I think they all these Hollywood movies need a, a guy that we are. Really they need the tension. Yeah. yeah. 
that the tension creates the drama and people go to these movies to see the drama. Right. Like in real life, uh, the, the, the one singer, the opera singer who uh, Salieri had the crush on, he actually slept with her. Mozart had nothing to do with her, so they, they switched that to, to make <clears throat> Mozart seem like a bigger jerk than he was. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's a Hollywood price to pay with movies, and that's just the way it works. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's yeah. like, I agree with you. Like, even, I mean, you can pick apart any movie. Some of those are crucial because they're dealing with people's character in real life and painting a picture of them in the, people, in the eyes of people who don't know enough about the situation. So that's where I have a harder time with that. But, like, every movie is obviously an embellish. I mean, look at Argo. And, you know, the, there's a lot of things that happen, but the timing and the way things happen, they have to play it off to make it the most dramatic and the most this. and the most, So they have to add these things in. And that's people who are, whether well, censoring the original story and saying they need more of this in, and there's more writers now involved, not just usually one writer like there used to be. So... There's people trying to get this angle to make this a sellable movie. Hollywood is about making money at the box office. And if you tell it accurately, you're not always going to get that because reality doesn't always have that drama. Perfect example, to me, Unbroken. Right, the movie Unbroken. From what I understand, pretty historically accurate. But people walked out of that going, I wasn't really emotionally moved or whatever. There was just something missing from that movie. And maybe it's the embellishment of everybody to, to create these dramatic points, to create these big feelings that we're going to have, to create the tension. I mean, there was some with that, the, the obviously the main, the main character and the, the, the one guy who's in charge of him. But, but, and, and I'm sure they did some embellishment, but I don't think they did a lot in that movie. I think, well, have you read the book? I haven't read the book. Okay. Because they probably had to take more out to yeah. trim it down. And, I, and like I said, I mean... Like they were like, why do they spend so much time on that, you know, where he was on the, on the, where they were on the boats? stranded in, in, in the ocean and stuff and, and people are like they need to move along and they need it quicker faster like we there's a certain formula that needs to be there and they do all that and they change things and they rewrite history to make it a sellable movie unfortunately so I mean, this movie was having a hard enough time finding studios anyway yeah. just because it's a uh, it was supposed to be a three hour yeah. period piece about classical music yeah. and so yeah. they have to they have to do something to create that, and that's just the way it is. So knowing that, like you right. said, it's a good solid movie, but it, in the back of your head, it also ruins the experience because you know differently, right. just like uh, the one you mentioned, um, Braveheart, you know, like that. I mean, for 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 Jeff, and the reason it's because it's, we didn't enjoy it really at all. I, I was questioning the time. Like, did you just see this in the last week or two? Yes. Okay. Uh, and yes. the school Yesterday, year, people are tired. We're done. And, and that's not a movie that, like, right, it's a hard movie to see, I think, if you're not in the mood for it. It's just like, yeah. Gandhi's a great movie. But can I watch Gandhi today and enjoy it? Be like, oh, you know, I, I always remember watching this movie around Christmas time. You know, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of snow in, yeah. in Amadeus, you know, in the very beginning scene when they're carrying Celieri to, yeah. to the mental institution. And so I always remember around Christmas time where I have a lot of time and, you know, you hear the music and, and just, it just, I used to watch it. Like, and you don't mind sitting on the couch for three hours. <laughs> and you broke it up. You know, you had to break. You well, and I, and I, you, you could have watched it through like this. I'm just saying that you know that you didn't have time for it, right. where the other things are going on. So when you try to like force yourself to have this time for this movie, if it feels like it's forced, then you're definitely, I think, the impact of it's going to be. All right, and I did, I did fall asleep during it. And I went, I woke up, and I rewound it. And that's the thing. Pick it up again. And that's exactly it. I, mean, I watch the movie and it's like, wow. And it's cool that, okay, there's a character. It's not just a painting that I'm looking at or, you know, someone, okay, there's someone that's bringing this to life. And okay, this maybe is how he was. And, you know, there were elements of that. And so, just my mind, I just don't sit back and I'm being totally entertained. 
okay, I'm sitting back and like, okay, that piece is cool. Okay, that's cool. Oh, I really enjoy the music. Oh, maybe that's kind of the politics of the court. Okay. And then as soon as the movie's done, it's like, okay, I want to go get a book on the subject. I'm going to read that book. I want to find out. You know, it's a jumping off point. I think that's what I just, not that I don't enjoy it, but anytime it's a historical movie or a, um, you know, something that shows a, like a character, let's, I want to, it's a jumping off point to get me motivated to go read more about it. Or, yeah. From, from what I read, it was definitely more of a, uh, a lot of it was an interpretation of who who they thought Mozart was and, and who they thought a lot of these characters were. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot that they, I guess, based on that was historically accurate, so they created a lot of it, including the laugh that John will do for us later. Um, right, no. But, I mean, that was just... The laugh was... <laughs> like that? Just like that. Um, the, laugh, the laugh was based on a couple of letters that were written that you know just said he had a giddy laugh yeah. or something like that. And that was the interpretation of it, so it doesn't seem like there's... Uh, I don't want to say a lot of research done before they made the movie, but I didn't find much that suggested there was a lot of research done before they made the movie. I'm sure there was. It was just like, we can't, this isn't going to make a great movie. Right. That's what it comes down to. It's what will make a great movie ultimately, and that's what they're trying to do. But do you think if they didn't make Mozart the way he was, this movie wouldn't be as memorable? Like, I yeah. think I think that last, last and I think yeah. with him being as vulgar as, yeah. as he was, yeah. I mean, there was stuff in history about his letters he did like a little bit of vulgarity mm-hmm. but but not, I mean this yeah, could right have right. been a, a very just standard biopic and I don't think it would have been as memorable to me I mean I, I always remember the laugh I remember him talking backwards you know with with, yeah. uh, uh, with his fiance you know well this time and, and I'll talk more here in a little bit but uh, this time in particular watching it it made me wonder, and especially seeing some of the scenes with the director's cut, there's the one scene where he goes back to, you know, it was the family that was going to have him instruct their daughter, and they had all the dogs in the director's cut. Um, he goes back later on and begs for money from the same guy, and he's wearing this bright purple, you know, he's, he looks like he's, you know, half drunk and, you know, barely able to stand up, and he's wearing this bright purple outfit, and his hair is all a mess. And with that scene in particular, and a couple of other things this time, as I was watching it, I'm thinking, you know, maybe, I don't know if they did or not, but maybe they were pushing more the, you know, Mozart's living the rock, the rock star lifestyle because this movie is made in the 80s, because you've got stuff like Spinal Tap, you've got, you know, hair bands and everything else were, were the big thing. So is that their way of making Mozart more accessible to other people by having him live this, you know, sex, drugs, and classical music lifestyle? Um... You know, is that their way of making it so it's not quite the so the boring? Well, here's the historical Mozart. He's not quite as interesting, but he was eccentric. And there was that Rock Me Amadeus, huh? right? And Which Rock Me Amadeus, I think, was also in the director's Welcome. cut. Yes, yeah. And I, I, I want to say that I, I think some of that that real fast lifestyle. I mm-hmm. think that he did have that back in you know right. whatever the 1700s equivalent, 1700s equivalent of it was. I mean, I, I, I and I was surprised. That the way they portrayed Leopold Mozart, because my understanding is Mozart, like his dad, was pretty hardcore, and you know, if you're practicing ungodly hours a day, wake him up late at night, you know, just and pushing him and just that child, almost like the Jacksons, you know, that child star type of thing where you're just out there all the time. And they, they kind of did that to Mozart, um, and that he did kind of have that, that real 
fast lifestyle. Now, I don't know if that was the legend that grew up around the movie and then was explained to me, but, you know, he did, he did die young and he was a, he was definitely, uh, you know, that, he, he keep having to say, but he was that performer and very popular figure, at least my understanding of this. Watching it this time, I picked up on some things I hadn't noticed before. Um, I, it was odd, maybe it's just the time I was watching it, but I, the laugh definitely seemed more pronounced this time. I don't know if it, if I was just, if it was taking me out of the moment or what, but every once in a while I just be shaking my head as I'm watching this and he's giggling like a fool. Um, I had a student that used to laugh like that. Oh. And so I played a clip from Amadeus for him where they heard, he heard the laugh. I don't think he laughed anymore after that. <laughs> like he stopped laughing. You scared the laugh out of him. That's, a, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> Made my life easier. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, my favorite interactions in this movie are when it's Amadeus, Salieri, and then the whole court. Um, when they have conversations like, well, you, you see, we felt there were too many notes. <laughs> he goes, yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> too many notes? I There were as many notes as I needed there to be. Like, exactly. Just cut a few. <laughs> I'm which, the musical few, genius here, not you. you. Which few did you have in mind? <laughs> yes. it was, those are my favorite parts, because that whole, the, the, the bumbling trio of court jesters is, is always, they're the comic relief if they're, is some um, in a, in some of the scenes. Um, I heard uh, F. Murray Abraham was supposed to. He was auditioning for uh, the, the Rosenberg part. The guy who was mm-hmm. one of the main mm-hmm. the, the hair director. You know, and, yeah. uh, imagine. I mean, that, that's a great. You know, uh, twist of fate there. How how he ends up with the, the Academy Award for for Salieri instead. And he's so good. I mean, so good. And that's the other thing about this movie is it, it can be long, and it, but solid performances mm-hmm. all around. I mean, F. Murray Abraham's awesome. Uh, I always forget the name of the guy who plays Mozart, but Tunnels. yeah, he just he's 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 in it that whole time. I mean, he, he you 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 see the switch flip, you see his eyes change when he's getting into that manic Mozart state, and then. When he hits rock bottom, he's begging for money. It's just, it's just good, solid performances. And yeah, it's great character work that yeah. is sorely lacking now that you just mm-hmm. don't see in, in movies. He said he used John McEnroe as his <laughs> as his uh, inspiration for the Amadeus mood swings. That's perfect. That there was a, um, uh, one of the studios they, they would produce it, but they wanted Walter Matthau as as the Oh God. <laughs> Hmm. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's even funnier right. when you picture him as old Walter Matthau. <laughs> <laughs> the old man. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> Trumpy old composers. <laughs> it's perfect the way it is. <laughs> perfect okay. the way it is. You go. All right, John, unleash. All right, John. All right, this was awesome. <laughs> this was just awesome. <laughs> it's the best movie. And that whole fight scene. No. Um, no, this is and and I thought I was trying to think about it. I saw this movie as a kid, and again, I don't think. And I asked I asked my mom about this. I said, "How do I know all these movies that 
don't seem appropriate for children. And how do I have these memories of watching them as kids? And she said, well, some of them are my uncle. She said, this one was probably not my uncle, that my dad loved this movie, that we, we had HBO at the house at the time, so we probably recorded it. In fact, I remember having the videotape. And I remember even as a kid of six, seven years old, I absolutely loved this movie. And there wasn't too much in this movie... And that's why probably my mom and dad didn't mind me watching it, because really, beyond the director's cut, where there is nudity and there's some other stuff, there's really not much in this movie that I don't think would be questionable. I think it would fly over most kids' heads if there is anything. Um, But I remember loving this as a kid, which is a weird thing to say, because this is not what you'd think of a movie... You wouldn't think this is one a kid would love. But I think the costumes, the set pieces... Um, the characters, I mean, I, growing up, I just remember this Mozart as being, is almost like a cartoon character with the laugh and the costumes, the wigs and the everything else. But the 10, the kind of movies that I tend to like, um, are the ones where you have these very strong, um, protagonist and antagonist, and maybe they started off as friends, but then they get going with this, you know, this, this relationship that they are then turning into rivals so, you know, I think of this movie with uh, Mozart and Salieri. Um, you know, I think of plays like Othello. You've got Othello and Iago. I mean, just really strong characters that are, you know, one is out to ruin the other's life, um, you know, just because he's great type of a thing, like a Lex Luthor Superman kind of thing. Um, and I just love the character. I love the character of Salieri and just every little way that he turns from completely adoring Mozart and adoring his music to then I will absolutely destroy this person and I will do whatever I can. Um, and just his, just that contrast between how much he loves everything that Mozart does and then is so bitter towards God who he blames for not giving him, you know, I, I love the line in it is you, you only gave me the, the ability to recognize your music and your creation and your incarnation you don't actually give me, I, I prayed for skill and I prayed for the ability to do this and you're mocking me. You know, I've given you my life. I've given you my chastity. I've given you everything else. And yet you give it to this vulgar little creature to be your representative here on earth and, and then let him get all the fame. And, and so therefore I will destroy your creation and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think some of my favorite scenes are, just the little ways in which Mozart, completely oblivious of his skill and his ability, just digs into Salieri every little bit. I, my favorite, I think, in the whole movie is when Salieri has, has composed that little march when he's going to first meet Mozart. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there at the piano and he's writing it down. He's, you know, it's taking him a while. He's very serious. And then he, grazie signori, to the cross. And, and then he goes there and shows it to the emperor. And the emperor is all excited. He's like, well, do you mind if I play it? And I can see on Salieri's face, he's like, oh, but you're no good. I, I would rather play it so Mozart can hear my music. You know, it's, it's, almost, like a, it's almost like a child wanting to impress a teacher or a father or a parent or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then Mozart comes in and, and then they talk a little bit. I said, well, here, you take this copy that Salieri, you know, he composed this in your honor. He's like, oh, no, you keep it. I've, I've got it all up here in my head. Goes, you only heard it once. Yeah, I know. Well, then show us. And he sits down, and it, it's innocently enough, he's playing, you know, it should just be that he's showing off that he has the thing memorized, but then he starts to go into the, but that doesn't really work, does it? 
Did you try? And he's looking right at him, and you can t- everybody in the court like looks at Salieri like he just insulted you, and Salieri just trying to keep his smile up, and and I, I, and I love that scene, and just the fact that it ends with you know it turns it from the Salieri piece of music into one of Mozart's pieces of music from I think it was the Marriage of Figaro, yeah, and um, and then just ending it with that laugh. Yeah. And then I think the next, I don't remember if in the director's cut or in the theatrical one, then it cuts immediately to Salieri back in his home, looking at the cross again. And this time it's, grazie, signore, as he's looking at the cross. He's like, yeah, okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, I worked really hard for that, and you you just completely stuck it back in my face again. They, they bring out, they do a good job of bringing out the Mozart genius. And, and, you know, the, the legend that when he'd write stuff down, like, there would be no scratch-outs or, mm-hmm. or, I mean, I'd say erase, but I don't think they composed in pencils. You know, there'd right. be nothing scratched out on his scores. No like corrections. His, his, his manuscripts were just, he would hear it in his head, he would write it down. Yeah. Or he would see it in his mind, or I, I don't know, I'm not in any way, shape, or form a musical genius, but I mean, you and know, so however... When Salieri says it was, like, it was like he was taking dictation from God. Right. Yeah. Even when he was sick at the end, and mm-hmm. Salieri was trying to help him out, right. he kept saying, slow down, slow down, and Service was going a mile a minute. Uh, I still, my favorite scene is, is when he hears that uh, he t- talks about how the bassoon starts out and, and uh, all of a sudden it's, it's, uh, uh, the oboe comes in and then it, it's, it's uh, uh, connected by the, the clarinet. And, and uh, actually, that's one of my favorite songs. I, I listen to that song all the time. But, uh, uh, the moments where he just gets lost in his music, he just drops the Now, I didn't like, as much as I like this movie, I did not like the director's cut. I didn't like the scenes that were added back in. And I had read, before before going in and watching the director's cut, I had read an article online where this guy said, I love Amadeus, I love the movie, but it's not a great movie. And I'm like, I disagree. Um, but then he goes on to say, the director's cut is a great movie. I said, okay, well, I haven't seen the director's cut yet, so let me see why you think it's a great movie. And he goes on to say just the added little bits with Salieri um, and the added scene with uh, Stanzi, with Mozart's wife. And when she goes in and basically offers herself to Salieri, he says, this, this guy that wrote this article online, said that makes it, like, that strengthens her character and that adds more power to the line at the end of the movie when she's kicking Salieri out of the house when Mozart is sick, and she says, I regret that we have no servants to show you out. Because when she's offering herself to Salieri, he rings the bell, and the servant comes in, and he says, please show this woman out. And I disagree with the guy who wrote this article, because I don't, I don't see how that adds more power to that line. I actually don't like that scene, because to me, Salieri's not... It shouldn't be about the sex part of it. Like when he says, no, the cost of, and I know he, he wasn't expecting her to go through with it. So he wasn't really expecting her to come back and, and, you know, have to try to follow through on this. But I don't like those parts because to me, the whole thing with Salieri is he just wants to, he wants to steal some of Mozart's talent. Like he wants to get some of the recognition from that. And to me, this whole thing of, you know, telling the wife, well, the payment for getting him this position is, you will come back tonight. I didn't. Like I didn't those, like that. The, right. The, 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 the it, it almost made it almost made Salieri too cartoonish is not the right word, but it almost made his character more base, and I didn't like that. I like that he was still, you know, in terms of his 
morals, I guess, that he was still a little loftier. But but he's still scheming to, you know, it's it's only his jealousy for the music part of it that's, that comes through. And then when she says that line at the end of the movie, I regret that we have no servants to show you out, to me it was never... It never had anything to do with that cut scene from the director's cut, that it was more of a, look, you had money, you had power, you had influence. You could have at any time helped us out here, and we wouldn't be in this situation. You chose not to. So you haven't, you know, you haven't lived the moral life you put forth to everybody else. Otherwise, you would have been charitable enough to, if you really care that much for Mozart, why did you not help us with money? Why did you not give us a loan? Why did you not get us this position? To me, it's more of a a class thing, yeah. upper class, lower class thing, is I'm sorry we have no ser- servants to show you out because we're poor, and that's kind of your fault. So to me, I didn't like the director's cut stuff, because I and I didn't particularly, I mean, the, the scene with the dogs was kind of funny, but it didn't really add anything to the movie for me. The, the times in the theatrical one where they just said he's having trouble, you know, getting students. In fact, I actually liked the line better when his dad asks him, do you have pupils? And he's like, I don't want pupils. I'm just composition. That's it. To me, I like that better than actually having him go out and try to teach lessons. And it totally backfires on times him. when the director's cut was actually better. Because for, for me, every single time I watch the director's cut, I'm like, I'm glad they didn't that stuff there okay. I, I think most most movies are just uh, the, the, they are too long and, and you know the three hours there they, they cut them for a reason yeah. you know? um I don't know Superman 2 I, oh, I say Lord of the Rings well, actually, the Richard Donner Superman Two is good. Lord that almost Rings. makes it a totally different movie, though, because it's a totally different tone. That's what I was mm-hmm. um, Blade Runner. I like the Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner's one. Lord yeah. of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Lords. <laughs> if there was one, sure. Red Sonia. <clears throat> yeah, I, you know what? I, you mentioned Lord of the Rings. I'd have to go back and Redder watch Sonya, them so both. Was... You know, and I got Deep thirty-eight Red hours Sonya. to watch movies. In yeah, world. that's yeah. It's yeah. now Crimson Sonia. See, Lord of the Rings is like. See, that was that's one of those long movies that doesn't feel long. Yeah. So you can add and those extra scenes and have the longer cut. It doesn't really deter it. Where I think Amadeus is already pushing it with the original theatrical at least, and then eight ten you're going to put the director's cut in there that could be longer. And, and then a, you're going to you're adding more on. You're, you're risking it. And in this case, and now when John explained it for the Amadeus thing, for me personally, obviously for me is someone else's opinion, but for me personally, when the things that he meant that John mentioned came into the director's cut. I think that just brought out more of what I don't like in these movies. It, yeah, it demonized Sally. Mm-hmm. And that's great that they did that all for you know for the you know the idea of making a movie. And I, I I'm down with that, and that's the point of Hollywood. And that's, but then it was just like, where that's there's no basis in reality. There was, and now I mean you know it's really easy to say, well, Salieri was a guy who lived a couple hundred years ago, but it's like a couple hundred years from now, I don't want people. If people are going to go around and say Pat Cantwell is a big jerk, I want them to say it for the right reasons, not for some made-up thing. You know, I mean, that's just where I kind of get with. That's why we're going to give. That's right. So now you know why I'm so a jerk. We're going to give you a ridiculous laugh too. So John being oh. the so John being the big big fan here of that movie, how do you wrestle with the whole thing that like like how do you deal with the historical inaccuracies not ruining it for you? How are you able to, to do that? Where some of us have. I don't the, for the same reason that I like Braveheart and some of those other ones. I just I see it as a work of art, and it's I, they can take whatever creative creative license they want. Now, on the flip side of that, we'll go back to the movie that I watched two years ago, um, Noah, and had a really hard time with that one. Not for you know, Pat's making a face too, and not for not for what you might think, and not for religious reasons. 
Like, I didn't have an issue with the movie for religious reasons, because I went into it knowing, okay, this is not going to be, you know, it's obviously going to be a little bit different than the source material. But I just didn't like it because in that one, I, I felt like they took it in such a far-off direction that it got ridiculous. Um, with something like this, I don't mind... I don't mind it because I see it as the work of art, that it's a mixing of you made a story about Amadeus in the 80s, so it's going to be a little more rock star lifestyle type stuff, and it's going to be... I, I like that interaction between the characters. I like that, you know, it's it's not hero-villain, but it's that the idea of the protagonist-antagonist, and it's that relationship. And if you fictionalize some of it, fine. You know, and I'm, that doesn't bother me so much. The history part of it doesn't bother me quite so much. I can separate the two and I can say, fine, history, I know what it is. This is still interesting to me, even though it's it's different. We've been watching, Sharon and I have been watching on Netflix, um, the Selfridge TV show, the one that's on PBS. Um, I don't know if it's the same, I don't think it's the same people that do Downton Abbey, but obviously same channel. Um, and it's very, it's very similar to that. Like there's several times where I've been curious. I was like, well, I know the story of the Selfridges store in London, and I know, you know, his history as a, a businessman in America going over there, was his family really this messed up? And I started to look some stuff up. It's like, no, his, you know, his, um, the mother of, of his, uh, uh, his daughter's mother-in-law was not this crazy, greedy uh, old woman. She was actually very pious and kind, and, but I know that you've got to, you know, ramp some of that up for TV and, and make it more interesting. So I can, I can separate that stuff just fine and, you know, still take the history part of it and, and still appreciate the, the art for the art part. Well, I think that's going to cut it for Amadeus this time. So uh, we will be back next time with another uh, historical epic, The Muppets Take Manhattan. If you'd like to interact more with us, we are on Twitter, at 30 Podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash 30 Podcast. And we have a new home for our podcast, the30podcast.podbean.com. Until next time, 